Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this beautiful second Sunday of the season of Lent. And speaking of beautiful, can we just pause and give thanks for, to our choir this morning for that beautiful anthem? We are so grateful for the ways that they lead us. We come with open hearts, ancient words in part. My prayer is that that is what happens this morning as we go into this time of the sermon. Uh, today we're in week two of our Lenten sermon series. It's called A Mr. Rogers Faith in a Fast and Frenzied World. And I know that not everyone in the room this morning uh, knows who Mr. Rogers is. Uh, and so if you're unfamiliar, if that's a name that you didn't grow up with, or, or maybe you just aren't familiar with uh, the work of Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers was a uh, children's television host on PBS for some 30 years. Uh, the, his television show was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and, um, and it was a show uh, in which he tried to, to teach children about kindness and, and what it means to be a neighbor, and, and, he, and he taught children that you're special just the way you are. Um, it was a wonderful show, but it was so much more than that, uh, because what most people don't know, or at least some people don't know, is that Mr. Rogers was also an ordained Presbyterian minister. Uh, he went to seminary, he was intending on going into ministry in the church, but then he felt God calling him to ministry on this new medium called TV. And so he decided to uh, live that out every day on his television show. And as, uh, as one person put it, Mr. Rogers taught us the gospel every day without ever preaching a word. Uh, during the season of Lent, I want us to use Mr. Rogers as kind of a lens through which we can look at how we live out our faith in a fast and frenzied world. I want us to use Mr. Rogers as a lens to figure out how we can more faithfully follow in Jesus' footsteps as we make our way through the season of Lent. This morning, uh, we are going to talk about what Mr. Rogers would call the gift of silence. And in order to do that, we're going to look at some ancient words from the Old Testament. This story actually comes from the book of 1 Kings. And what you need to know about this story is uh, we're jumping in about halfway through the middle of it. Meaning that there, there is this section of this story that we're not going to read this morning, uh, but it's, it, it's important to understand kind of the context. Now, this is a story about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was told by God to go and confront the evil king Ahab because he was worshiping the Phoenician god Baal. So he goes to the top of Mount Carmel. It's Elijah versus 450 of Baal's uh, prophets, and they have a face-off, and Elijah wins. Well, when Ahab's wife Jezebel heard that Elijah won, she said, I want him dead. So he immediately ran as far away as he possibly could in fear. He went to a place called Mount Horeb, where he planned on hiding for the rest of his life. But then God showed up and had some words for him. This morning, I'm going to start in verse 8 of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Listen to how God spoke to the prophet Elijah. So Elijah got up, and he ate, and he drank, and then he went in that strength of the food for 40 days and for 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And it was at that place that he came to a cave, and he spent the night there. But then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? But Elijah answered him, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites, they've, they've forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they've killed your prophets with the sword, and now I'm left all alone. And now they're seeking my life to take it away. God said to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And so there was a great wind that blew so strong that it split the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And then there came a still, small voice that said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. And the Israelites, they've forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, and they've killed the prophets with the sword. And now I'm left all alone. And now they're seeking to even take my life away. But the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as the king over Aram. And you shall anoint Jehu as the king of Israel, and you shall anoint Elisha as a prophet in your place. And so whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. And yet, I will leave 7,000 people in Israel, all of the knees that have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. So back in 2002, uh, Mr. Rogers was doing an interview for a magazine article. And in the course of the interview, the journalist said to him, so Mr. Rogers, when you look back on your lifetime, you have to admit that you've received an incredible number of accolades. I mean, you've, you've received countless awards and honorary doctorates. You've produced over 900 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. In 1997, you received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Emmys. In 1999, you were inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. And you even have one of your sweaters on display at the Smithsonian in Washington. So given all of that, when you look back on your career, what do you think is the greatest gift you've given the world? Mr. Rogers didn't hesitate. He said, if there's one thing that I hope I've been able to give the world, it's the gift of silence. Now, I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, wait, what? <laughs> the gift of silence? That's your answer? I mean, what does that even mean? That, that's what you're going to come up with? It's kind of a bizarre answer to an otherwise straightforward question. But then I started doing some research. I started rereading some of his books. I started rewatching some of his television episodes. And what I discovered 
is that if there is one thing that Fred Rogers was an ardent believer in, it is the importance of and power of the practice of silence. In fact, not only did he apply this to his everyday life and his everyday faith, but it's also something that he tried to incorporate into his television show from the earliest days. For instance, there was one episode where Fred Rogers invited the world-renowned musician Yo-Yo Ma to come and to play his cello for a group of children that had visited Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And so after the, the, the piece was over, after Yo-Yo Ma had finished up, you could tell by the look on Mr. Rogers' face that he was so moved by what he had just experienced. And so instead of moving on, instead of like kind of just fast-forwarding to the next segment, Mr. Rogers just sat there for a minute and he said, children, why, why don't we take a moment of silence and just sit here and think about how the music made us feel. And so five seconds became 10 seconds, 10 seconds became 15. After 20 seconds, Mr. Rogers finally broke the kind of awkward silence and he simply said, wasn't that beautiful? <laughs> Mr. Rogers did this kind of thing all the time. Which is kind of interesting because in the world of television broadcasting, if there is one thing that is kind of a cardinal sin, it's having prolonged periods of silence. In fact, they even have a special name for it. It's called dead air. And dead air is something that you do not want to incorporate into your show. It's something you should avoid at all costs. Unless, of course, you're, you're Mr. Rogers. <laughs> And then you incorporate it all the time. And that's because Fred Rogers believed that some of the most important and powerful moments of life can only happen when we're silent. In fact, there's a, there's a famous YouTube clip that I would encourage you to, to look up when you go home this afternoon. Uh, not now, uh, you can put your phones away, but, but later this afternoon, I encourage you to look this up. It, it's, the, it's a clip of the night when Mr. Rogers won his Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys. Uh, the year was 1997, and they introduced Mr. Rogers, and they call him up on stage. And one would think that Fred Rogers would get up and he would give kind of a, a lengthy acceptance speech, like everybody tends to do. But that's not what Mr. Rogers did. Instead, he got up on stage and he leaned into the microphone and he said to this room full of A-list actors and Hollywood elite, he said, you know, all of us have special people in our lives who have helped us and loved us along the way. Would you take 10 seconds of silence and think about them with me tonight? Of course, the entire room started laughing as soon as he said this because they assumed he was joking, but he was dead serious. He really did want everyone to be quiet for 10 full seconds on live TV and to think about these people. So everyone eventually calmed down and Mr. Rogers took off his, his wristwatch and he said, I'll watch the time. An Esquire magazine article described that moment this way. It said, and I quote, the room fell silent. 
And all of a sudden, bottom lips began to quiver, bosoms heaved, and mascara began to run, and tears fell upon that beglittered gathering, like rain leaking down from a crystal chandelier. And at the end of those 10 seconds, Mr. Rogers taught his neighborhood yet another invaluable lesson that the gift of silence can be absolutely deafening. Mr. Rogers was a big advocate of practicing silence. And if you've ever wondered why, I really think it's probably for two reasons. The first is because he believed that we live in a world that is overwhelmed with noise. That every second of every day we are bombarded on every side by this constant cacophony of sound. And so it is that you and I have to work extra hard. We have to be extra intentional to make sure that we find moments of silence because this noisy world we live in isn't going to find them for us. So that's the first reason. The second reason, though, is because Mr. Rogers believed that silence is the number one thing that God uses in order to talk to us. He believed that it's, it's silence when God uses it as a means to communicate with us that you and I can rightly hear from God. Of course, the only question is, are we in a position to listen? And for Mr. Rogers, it's that last part that was the most important because he said, you know, as somebody who, who's kind of made a habit of having a quiet time every morning, he said, if there's one thing I've learned, it's that the question isn't, is God going to speak to me? Because he will. No, the real question is, am I ready to listen? Because I have discovered that our God is not the kind of God who grabs us by the shirt collars and shakes us and shouts his message at us whether we like it or not. God does not force his words upon us against our will. No, our God, he said, I found to be very patient when it comes to his communication with us. And so it is that until we're ready to listen, God has no need to speak. Now, throughout the Bible, there are plenty of people who I'm sure could attest to the truth of that statement. But I don't know that there's anyone who knew that better than the prophet Elijah. Because Elijah, as we read about a little while ago, uh, he was a prophet in the ninth century BC, meaning about 800 years before Jesus showed up, Elijah was there doing his prophet thing, and he did it during a time when the king of Israel was a guy by the name of Ahab. Ahab was married to his wife Jezebel, and they were awful people. By that, I mean they were like really awful people. In fact, 1 Kings describes King Ahab in his moral character by saying, Ahab did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any king before him. So was it any surprise that King Ahab decided to stop worshiping the God of Israel and to start worshiping the Phoenician god Baal? Well, let's just say that it wasn't that big of a shocker when he decided to do that because that's just who he was. That was the kind of person that he was. Of course, this didn't make God happy one bit. So God decided to send Elijah to confront the king. And he said, this is what I want you to do. 
He said, Elijah, I want you to go to the king and I want you to demand a face-off on the top of Mount Carmel. I want you to tell him to bring 450 of his greatest prophets of Baal and to meet you at the top of the mountain and it's there that you'll erect two altars. One for me and one for Baal. The first god to make their altar burn wins. So Elijah said, okay. And he brought the message to the king, and the king said, we'll see you there. So on the appointed day, they go to the top of Mount Carmel, and they erect two altars to these two gods made of stone and wood. And if you know the story, you know that the prophets of Baal went first. 450 of the greatest prophets of Baal started by, by these, doing these elaborate worship ceremonies all in an effort to try to get their God to pay attention. And so they yelled things and they screamed things and they even cut themselves and made themselves bleed. All of this was an attempt to simply get him to pay attention, but First Kings says there was no response, there was no answer, there was no voice. In other words, the prophets Baal failed. So then it was Elijah's turn. And before he, he went to work, he said, well, why don't, we, um, why don't we make this interesting? Before I do anything, why don't you take 12 large jars of water, just go ahead and start pouring it on my altar. You know, I feel like if God's able to do this, not even that will be an obstacle for him. So they did. They poured 12 large jars of water all over the altar, and that's when Elijah stepped back. He rolled up his prophetic sleeves and he began to pray. And before he even said amen, a divine firestorm came bursting down out of the heavens and it consumed the entire altar. Stones, wood, water, instantly incinerated. And so, of course, First Kings says that Elijah won and Ahab lost, and that's the end of the story, right? Not exactly. First Kings says that uh, as soon as Queen Jezebel heard that Elijah had won, she said, I want him dead. Which wasn't terribly exciting for Elijah. <laughs> And so in fear and trembling, he ran off to the furthest place he could think of. He went to the mountain of God. He went to a place called Mount Horeb. But of course, understand, God didn't want him there. He still had work for Elijah to do. And so as soon as Elijah shows up and he goes in a cave to hide out for the rest of his days, God comes to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? But Elijah was in no mood to talk. He was not in a position to have a conversation with God. Because understand, he is mad. He is livid. He is scared. But more than anything, he feels betrayed. Because here he's done all this wonderful stuff for God, and this is how he gets repaid? The queen has a, a, a death threat out for him? And so Elijah can't believe that God would let that happen. So he is not in a position to want to listen to God. I mean, in your mind's eye, I want you to picture Elijah with two fingers planted firmly in both ears because whatever God's got to say, he doesn't want to hear it. What I want you to notice about the story 
is what God does next. Because instead of doing what I would do, which is pull out a God-sized megaphone and shout at Elijah, or, or, or to do something that, that just grabs Elijah and says, you're going to listen to me whether you like it or not. That's not what happens. No, First Kings 19 says that God simply called Elijah out from his cave. He said, I want you to stand on the ledge because I've got something to show you. And so all of a sudden, he says, there was a, a windstorm that came by that was so violent that it shattered the mountains and it split the rocks. And after the wind, there was, there was an earthquake. And after the earthquake, First King says, there was a fire. But in all of those things, First King says, but God wasn't in them. In other words, God did not flex his supernatural muscle and say, you're going to listen to me no matter what. No, God simply waited until it was perfectly silent. And God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. It's as if in a gentle whisper, God finally got his message across as if to say, you ready to listen to me now? Fred Rogers believed that that is how God still speaks to us today. I mean, maybe not with all of the theatrics that Elijah got to experience, but he believed that God still speaks to us in the same exact way, in a still small voice, and that it's only when we're silent that the voice of God can break through. Of course, the question for us this morning is this. Do we really want to hear from God? I mean, I know, I know, we're in church this morning, and so of course the answer should be yes, right? But I think if we're being honest with each other, we have to admit that sometimes we all have a little bit of Elijah in all of us. Meaning that we all have that, that propensity to want to put our fingers in our ears to try to tune God out. The reason why is because from the moment that you and I become a Christian, from the moment we decide that we're going to be a follower of Jesus, God has this, the most incredibly annoying habit of telling us to do hard things. Things like, um, you know, you've got to go forgive that person that hurt you. Or you need to say, I'm sorry to that person who you hurt. Or I need you to take a leap of faith right here. Or I need you to go to a place that is far outside your comfort zone. God is constantly calling us to do hard things. But such is the nature of faith. Indeed, such is the nature of Lent. Because it is especially in the season of Lent that you and I can hear the words of Jesus who says to us, if anyone would be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, Lent is a season for listening. It is listening for the still, small voice of God in our lives. And of course, the, where that happens, the way that 
We can detect that voice in so many different ways. I mean, it can happen when we read our Bibles. It can happen when we pray. It can happen when we pay attention to that holy nudge deep within our soul. It can even happen when we come to the table. But whatever it is and wherever it is, it will always start with silence. So, how might you fast from noise? this Lenten season. How might you intentionally take time to put away all of the many things in your life that beep and beckon and buzz, to shut off all of the things that compete every single moment of every single day for your attention? How might we turn off what's been called by one author our weapons of mass distraction? How are you going to make room for silence in your life so that you can hear that still, small voice of God? Because what I am here to tell you this morning is this. The question is not, is God willing to speak to us? The real question is, And we put ourselves in a position to listen. And when we do, and when God is in it, I believe that is precisely the moment that we learn once again the lesson that Elijah already knew and Mr. Rogers wanted us to learn, and that is that the gift of silence can be absolutely deafening. Let us pray. Oh God, we come to your table this morning in the stillness of this place, in the silence of worship. And we want to hear from you. So God, as we come to this table and we hear those ancient words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, may we hear your still small voice speaking to us the words we so desperately need to hear. God, maybe it's a It's a word of hope. Maybe it's a word of forgiveness. Maybe it's a a word of, of grace and love. Maybe it's a word that reminds us that you are with us. But God, whatever it is, may you open our hearts, open our ears so that we may hear your voice in the silence. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.